Hello again, my friends. What is up? You are listening to The Royal Ramble, and I'm your host, Blaine the Brain. I hope you all enjoyed last week's very special episode with my first of hopefully many guest co-hosts, Shane McDonald, one of my loyal listeners from across the pond in Dublin, Ireland. I hope to do more of those in the future, so stay tuned. But this week is a very news-heavy one, probably the most newsworthy episode of the whole year. There's a lot to talk about, so I decided it would be best to go solo this week as to avoid taking up your entire day. The hottest topic at water coolers across the world is that Vince McMahon, the father of sports entertainment, has decided to step down as CEO of World Wrestling Entertainment, naming his daughter Stephanie McMahon and Chief Revenue Officer Nick Khan as his co-successors. The announcement of Vince's retirement was made Friday evening, which I think took the entire wrestling world by surprise. Given the circumstances surrounding his retirement, I don't think it was ever entirely outside the realm of possibility. But I still didn't expect it so suddenly. This announcement, of course, following the allegations of sexual misconduct and adultery against McMahon, I suppose it shouldn't be all that shocking. But I would compare it to a jack-in-the-box toy where you know what's about to happen, but it still catches you by surprise. Look, whether you like Vince McMahon or you don't, you still have to acknowledge his contributions to the business that we all love. If not for Vince, who knows what today's wrestling business would even look like or if it would even exist. I think the majority of fans watching today grew up watching WWE, so as much as you might dislike Vince the person, you might still respect Vince the businessman. Another retirement is scheduled to take place in just one week's time over SummerSlam weekend as Ric Flair will be wrestling his final match, or so he says. I mean, we've all heard it before, and I don't think anybody really takes wrestling retirement seriously these days. Personally, I will always consider that WrestleMania match with Shawn Michaels as the Nature Boy's last match. As soon as I heard those words, I'm sorry, I love you, Ric Flair had retired for good. Maybe not officially, but that would have been the perfect ending to a storied career. And keep in mind, that was 14 years ago. And much like the Energizer Bunny, Flair just keeps going and going and going. A lot of people may take issue with his supposed final match being a tag team encounter, but I honestly think that's the right call. Let's face it, this isn't the same flair that came back from a plane crash to capture the world title from Harley Race. Despite how hard he's been training, he's 73 years old, and his performance is going to be limited. For those of you who haven't seen the video of the assault angle with Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal, I urge you to go find it because that alone has sold me on the match, and I'm actually more looking forward to that than anything at SummerSlam. I'll get to SummerSlam in a bit, but that last match event is looking really good thus far, and I hope this elevates both Jay Lethal and Andrade El Idolo, if nothing else. I think the goal of that match should not only be to send Flair off into the sunset gracefully, but also to put those two younger guys over huge. Both are already signed to All Elite Wrestling, but I hope this is the match that elevates them higher up the card. It's interesting, too, that Jeff Jarrett is participating in the match, as Jarrett is now signed with WWE and will also referee the tag title match between the Usos and the Street Profits the night before, so it's going to be a busy weekend for the Chosen One for sure. Speaking of busy, the stars of New Japan Pro Wrestling have been pretty active lately with this year's G1 Climax kicking off just last weekend and currently ongoing. It's kind of weird that there are four blocks this year as opposed to the traditional two. I think that'll take some time to get used to, but it doesn't help that there are as many non-tournament matches as there are tournament matches, so I think it's harder to keep track of everything. It's been a fine tournament thus far, although Night 3 certainly left a lot to be desired, especially that Lance Archer vs. Badlock Fale match, which I thought was atrocious. And I'm not just saying that because I'm not a huge fan of Archer. Also, one of these years I hope they'll finally do a G1 tournament without Yano. 
I don't get it, and I think his presence in the tournament kind of destroys the credibility of the whole thing. Not that his matches are bad, but I don't think the character works in this environment. It'll be an interesting and exciting few weeks for sure, and it's anybody's guess at this point what the final match will be, as no one really stands out to me or has dominated. I suppose Jay White could be one half of the main event, as he's been having a great year thus far, and I wouldn't mind seeing him continuing that momentum. And then Okada, of course, has made the finals at the last several events, so I wouldn't rule him out either. We'll see how this tournament shapes up. As exciting as the next few weeks will be in the world of pro wrestling, we had a very exciting card last night as Ring of Honor made its triumphant return to pay-per-view for Death Before Dishonor, which technically was promoted by Tony Khan and AEW, although the Code of Honor was adhered to for many of the matches. The event started with the ROH world title on the line with defending champion Jonathan Gresham turning back the challenge of Claudio Casagnoli, the former Cesaro, who has just been on fire lately, and this match was no exception. It was a technical masterpiece for sure, and a bit of a chess match, but I think it ended kind of abruptly, and could have probably gone on a little longer. Actually, I was shocked that they chose to open the night with this match, but it certainly got the crowd fired up. Prince Nana, for some reason, made his return, coming to ringside as Gresham's corner man, which is kind of confusing since I thought that role was already taken by Tully Blanchard. Claudio started swinging almost immediately and got multiple revolutions out of that. He then put his strength on full display by picking Gresham up from the apron while standing on the middle rope and then executing a gut-wrench suplex into the ring, which could have been disastrous as it looked like they were tangled in the ropes, but he did manage to pull it off. The end, as I said, came out of nowhere, as following the discus lariat, Claudio hit the trapped arm sit-out powerbomb to finally claim the title. I can't say I'm shocked by the outcome, but apparently Gresham has given his notice and is done with both AEW and ROH. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up next, but I think Impact is the obvious choice with his wife already there, and I don't think he'd fit the mold in WWE at all. But that's just speculation, of course, who even knows at this point. Daniel Garcia was interviewed about his upcoming pure title match versus Wheeler Yuta and basically said he was going to take the ROH title to the major leagues in AEW and bring it to the Jericho Appreciation Society. Not really much to this promo, and I'm not sold on Garcia. He's a fine wrestler, but not much of a character. Dalton Castle teamed with the boys up next, and I'm not talking about Billy Butcher and those boys. These ones belong to Ring of Honor. And they challenged Vincent and his group called The Righteous. There really wasn't much hype behind this match, as Vincent has spent the better part of the last eight months in Impact, while Castle has been almost off the grid entirely. But this match was for the ROH six-man titles, and seemed like a total filler on this card. The boys were really being ragdolled by Vincent's team in the early going, but there was a funny spot where Dalton just started launching his own boys over the ropes one after the other onto the righteous guys at ringside. Vita Von Starr got involved as well with an acai moonsault taking out all of the match participants on the floor, and it was clear at this point that the referee had lost complete control as there wasn't a legal tag to be seen. The end comes where Dalton finally hits the fangarang to win the titles. I wonder what this will mean moving forward and whether or not we actually see Dalton and his boys in AEW. Sanjay Dutt and Jay Lethal cut a promo backstage with Satnam Singh in the background. Both of these guys are just so underrated on the microphone, and I hope Sanjay finds his place as a heel manager moving forward. Lethal ends with a great line that Samoa Joe has two choices, either death or dishonor, and that choice has already been made for him. Wheeler Yuta defended the pure title against Daniel Garcia in the next encounter. 
Here we have two of AEW's young lions going at it, representing their competing factions. This was a great showcase of some of the younger talent in the company, and Wheeler in particular has had a tremendous year thus far, including his performance in this match. He kind of reminds me of Walker from Yellowstone, and I hope we see the pure title defended in AEW more often as well. The announcers noted that Josh Woods was one of the ringside judges and that Yuta beat Woods to win the title in April, so that could be interesting. Regal, who was on commentary, also made note of the fact that Garcia was wearing maroon trunks, which he considered a dig at himself. There was a lot of biting on this card, and this match was the first example of that as Garcia went all Count Dracula on Wheeler's neck at one point. There was a nice exchange of open hand slap center ring, and then they exchanged submission holds as Garcia first applied the Regal stretch, which Yuta escaped, and then locked in the Lion Tamer, which was a very nice touch. The end came where Yuta spit in Garcia's face and then pretzeled him into a Mahisral cradle to keep the belt. The Battle of Brothers was up next as Roosh took on Dragon Lee. There was a crazy spot where Lee torpedoed himself through the ropes and landed with a splash on Roosh through an outside table. Roosh came back with an overhead belly-to-belly -belly throw off the ring apron to the floor, and then back in the ring he drilled Lee with a running basement dropkick in the corner for the win. The ROH women's title was on the line next as Serena Deeb challenged Mercedes Martinez, and I'm not quite sure who was supposed to be the babyface here. I suppose it was Mercedes, given the angle to set up the match, but still not certain. These two were exchanging submission holds like there was no tomorrow. Mercedes locked on a seated double chicken wing and then later delivered a spider German suplex from the top rope. Deeb came back with a swinging neckbreaker and then applied her submission hold called the Serenity Lock, which is basically Conan's Tequila Sunrise. Mercedes got out of that and planted Deeb with a Dominator and then locked on the Dragon Sleeper for the final tap out so the champ retains. I must say that this outcome did catch me by surprise as I thought there was more upside in Deeb going over, but we'll see what this means for Mercedes in the coming weeks. Jay Lethal challenged Samoa Joe in the next bout for the ROH television title, and part of me questioned whether or not Joe would even show up, as he's been noticeably absent during the entire build for this match. Joe goes on the offensive early with some vicious headbutts against the guardrail, and then Satnam Singh gets involved to give Lethal the advantage. Lethal then starts to target Joe's arm and shoulder. Joe comes back with open hand slaps, but is caught with a lethal combination for a near fall. Joe tries for the muscle buster, but Lethal slips out the back and hits the lethal injection for two. Sanjay Dutt then runs out to distract the ref, allowing Lethal to nail Joe in the face with the belt. Lethal then goes for an O'Connor roll, but Joe pulls him backwards into the Coquina clutch for the win, and Joe keeps the belt. The much-anticipated return match between FTR and the Briscoes is what they chose to end the night with. And this one was two out of three falls and did not disappoint. This was spectacular and basically ended up being everything you would have expected and more. Jay delivered a belly-to-back suplex out of a side headlock to Dax in the early going and it looked like Dax legitimately hurt his shoulder as he was being checked on but he seemed fine afterwards so I'm not sure if that was just tremendous selling on his part. The Briscoes ended up winning the first fall with a doomsday device out of the Road Warriors playbook and I love the attention to detail here where Dax was being pinned while Mark held Cash at bay preventing him from breaking it up. In the second fall, Cash hit a gory bomb on Mark for two, and then Jay ended up using the ring bell on Cash later on, which was a heelish type move, but it didn't work as FTR scored with a big rig on Jay to pick up the second fall. Mark's face was busted open heading into the final fall, and I missed what happened there, but it looked nasty. 
There was a ref bump right before Jay hit the Jay Driller on Dax, so there was no one to count. Jay then dives off the middle rope only to get caught in midair with a big rig, but the ref was still down. The ref did eventually come too, but was too late in making the count as Jay kicked out. The Briscoes then hit the Doomsday Device on Dax, but Cash made the last minute save. And then Dax rebounded and hit a pile driver off the top rope, which thankfully didn't paralyze Briscoe, but did give FTR the win. Following the match, William Regal came out through the entrance tunnel, accompanied by Claudio Casagnoli and Wheeler Yuta, and they had a bit of a stare-down with FTR from the entrance to end the show. So that was Ring of Honor. It was a great card, but will SummerSlam follow suit? We shall see. For now, I'm going to attempt to get out my crystal ball and predict the SummerSlam card as it stands right now. It's interesting that two of the biggest stars on this card aren't even wrestlers, but that isn't at all surprising in WWE. So I'm going to start with one of those matches, and that's Pat McAfee against Happy Corbin. Firstly, I find it weird and equally pathetic that despite Corbin losing his feud to Madcap Moss, he is still higher up the card. It just goes to show how much wins and losses truly matter in this company. I have to say though that despite McAfee not being a wrestler, he knows how to sell tickets. He's one of the best overall personalities in the company right now, and it's shown in his performances during this feud. I'm sure this will be a fine match, but I just don't care enough about Corbin to become fully invested in it. That said, both guys have done a really good job with what they've been given. I can't see this ending any other way than with a Pat McAfee victory, and then Corbin continues to sink down the card. The other celebrity match on this card will feature YouTube sensation Logan Paul attempting to get his revenge on The Miz for the skull-crushing finale at WrestleMania. I couldn't care less about this feud, particularly because if the payoff is Miz getting his comeuppance, then it doesn't help that he constantly gets his comeuppance for free every week on Raw, so him losing or getting beaten up by Logan Paul really doesn't mean anything. It will be interesting, however, to see how the live audience will react to Logan Paul as a babyface. If I'm being honest, I fully expect the crowd to completely turn on this match. I think Miz will try and get himself counted out as Logan knocks out Ciampa, but then AJ will run out and toss Miz back into the ring to get KO'd himself, giving Paul the decisive victory. I talked about the tag title match earlier on, and with Jeff Jarrett as the guest referee, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I loved the match these two teams had at Money in the Bank, and especially the way it ended, which opened the door for this rematch. It's weird though, because you'd think that they'd want an experienced referee in this match so the same mistake isn't made again, which really doesn't make sense why Jarrett was given the job, and especially when he doesn't really have any history with either team. It just felt so random. That aside, I'm expecting another really good match here. I think Jarrett will probably take a bump midway through the match, and a regular referee will replace him. The end comes where Montez gets a blind tag as Angelo is powerbombed out of the corner and Montez hits the frog splash on Jay, but at the same time Jimmy hits Angelo with a splash and both guys make the pins. The original ref doesn't notice the blind tag so he counts Jimmy's pin, while Jarrett who is coming to on the outside sees the tag and he counts Ford's pin from the outside so we still don't have a winner. Pierce then comes out to restart the match, and as the Usos get in Jarrett's face, Angelo blocks a right hand from Jimmy that was meant for Jarrett, and drills him with the sky high, and Montez hits the final frog splash, so the Profits win the titles. I think ending it this way could provide another excuse for a rematch. 
Theory is also expected to challenge Bobby Lashley for the U.S. title, but that program really hasn't been given much attention in the weeks leading up to the event, as more people are focused on Theory potentially cashing in the Money in the Bank briefcase. I expect this match to open the show, and I think Lashley is getting another clean win here with a spear, so they kind of tease that Theory is so beaten up and in no condition to cash in the briefcase later. The whole story with Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey is just so puzzling to me. I'm not sure who's supposed to be the babyface or the heel, and it's just very confusing. The problem I have with Liv is that she's been presented more as a fluke than an underdog, and it's not at all believable that she can beat Ronda or Becky or Charlotte, etc. in a straight-up one-on-one match. So my idea is to turn her heel where she becomes obsessed with the title like Gollum in Lord of the Rings and does whatever it takes to keep it, basically developing a crazy gimmick almost like a female Joker. I think just when it looks like Ronda's about to win the title, Liv hits the referee with the belt, thus getting herself intentionally disqualified. And while Ronda is confused by what just happened, Liv then levels her with the belt as well and runs through the crowd to escape. The Raw women's title will also be defended with Becky Lynch finally getting her one-on-one rematch with Bianca Belair, and I think SummerSlam will be the end of the Great Belair Experiment. Look, I'm a fan of Bianca, and I like and appreciate that unlike Liv, they've taken their time with her and have groomed her for this main event position. But at the end of the day, she's not Becky Lynch, and this title always ends up finding its way back to Becky or Charlotte, so why waste any more time? I think Bianca has had a decent run, so it's time for Becky to get her baby back. I expect a clean win here, too. Bianca charges at Becky in the early going of the match, but Becky avoids her and she crashes shoulder first into the ring post, so Becky targets Bianca's shoulder as the basic story of the match. The end comes where Bianca attempts the KOD but can't support Becky's weight on her shoulder and she collapses, allowing Becky to lock in to disarm her. Bianca holds on for as long as she can but eventually succumbs to the pain and taps out, similar to the Iron Sheik and Bob Backlund match from several decades ago. And then the main event will see Roman Reigns defending his world title for the umpteenth time against Brock Lesnar. I mean, their match at WrestleMania ended pretty decisively, so naturally Brock deserves a rematch, right? One thing that I hope doesn't happen in this match is Theory winning the Universal title, as he clearly isn't ready yet. I can see the Usos getting involved, only to be fought off by the Street Profits, and then as Brock and Roman are both struggling to their feet, Theory comes running out to cash in the briefcase only for Lesnar to catch him on his shoulders before he gets the chance. And as Brock is about to deliver the F5 to Theory at the top of the entrance ramp, Reigns hits a shoulder tackle, knocking both Brock and Theory off the stage and into the electrical equipment below, so Reigns is the last man standing and keeps the title. But before Roman has a chance to celebrate, Drew McIntyre runs out and drills him with a claymore out of nowhere, and the final image of the show is McIntyre standing over a fallen Reigns, holding the championship belt in the air. So after SummerSlam, we start the build to the Clash at the Castle show over Labor Day weekend. Here's the card I would book in this week's fantasy forecast. It shouldn't be any secret at this point that we're getting Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns for the WWE Universal title. I would also continue the rivalry between the Usos and the Street Profits in a ladder match for the newly designed Unified Tag Team titles. Becky Lynch will probably be on the card as well, defending against Asuka. Bianca Belair will likely be matched up against Rhea Ripley, depending if Rhea is healthy by then. 
This was the match that was supposed to happen at Money in the Bank, and I can see Bianca getting her rematch against Becky on Raw, with Rhea interfering and costing her the title to set up this match. Originally, I was going to book Finn Balor versus Edge, but I think that match might be added last minute to SummerSlam, and given the venue of this event, I don't think fans will want to boo Finn. So instead, I'd give Balor a US title match against Bobby Lashley, where he wins the belt and finally gives Judgment Day some credibility. On the SmackDown side, we're probably, unfortunately, getting another rematch between Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey, and this one will likely be no DQ. The New Day have also been feuding recently with the Viking Raiders, so I think that could be a decent undercard match at the event. So there you have it. I will be back next week with a show full of recaps as I'll be reviewing the UFC event, Ric Flair's last match, talking more about the G1, and, oh yeah, SummerSlam. Until then, I'll leave you with an A-B-C-Y-A.